right, here we go. Uh, welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Yeah. This is episode three. I'm very excited to be here with Johnny Unicorn. Hi. Shall, uh, shall we clink glasses? Let's do it. <laughs> I, I bet that sounded that, good. Yeah, I'm sure. You can use that for later, too. Yeah. I promised John whiskey. That's how I got him here. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, my gosh. It's sipping whiskey. I, I warned you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm this is sip uh, that very slowly. This is from the Ula Distillery, which is like a block away from my apartment. Uh, I went in there today because I wanted to have like some local whiskey to drink. You couldn't be bothered to go further than a block? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm such a lazy person. Uh, I went in there and I got to meet the distiller and he was such a cool guy. Let's see. His name is on the bottle. Uh, wow. Kirby. He was a very nice guy. Oh, yeah. um, when I mentioned that I was doing a sci-fi podcast, he's like, oh yeah, well the name of our whiskey is like the... The dancer in Return of the Jedi, the slave girl dancer, Ula. <laughs> oh, with the <laughs> with the head, yeah. head tails. I think yeah. she's, a, she's a Twi'lek, right? The green girl. I guess, yeah. Do you know when they did the special edition of Return of the Jedi, they got the same actress back? I did not know that. Yeah. To do what? To do like a couple of like pickup scenes for that shot. Because they added that whole atrocious now, that, thing. The, the new song. Yeah. Which is way worse than the old song. The old song had the 70s funk feel. Yeah. And the new song sounded like... People that didn't know what music was. It was like the Spice wanna, Girls. I mean, but it like was, it Spice was, is in like from Dune, the Spice Girls. I'm not saying it was a bad song. I'm sure it was a good song. It's just, yeah. It's just when you're expecting. It's miserably out of place. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the expectation is all. I think if I heard it out of context, I might have liked it. How did you feel about the replacement of the song at the end of the movie? The the Yub Nub Each Up Yub Nub song? That was even worse. I want to hear. Uh, what is that? Hallelujah! <laughs> Yup, nope. I love that part. Yup, nope. Yeah, I grew up with that. I mean, as an adult looking back at it, I feel like the new song is probably a better song, but I still miss the Yup, nope song. Same situation. Yeah. It was, it was like, it sounded very 1983, you know? It did, because that movie came out in 1983, and there's no shame in that. Yeah. And, I don't know, George Lucas seems ashamed of it, which is unfortunate. I don't but, want to talk about George Lucas. I know. I, I will say, like, George Lucas has given me so much of my favorite shit in life that I shouldn't complain about him. Already we're, like, way off topic. I mean, we haven't even said what the topic is. We're still off I topic. I don't even know what the topic is. You I didn't even tell you the topic. Here. Okay. Yeah. You're here because you are... Um, <laughs> you started laughing when I said that. What did no, you think I was going to say? It was the whiskey. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was, I, was, I was choking, really, is choking. what it was. It's very good. Yeah. This feels very romantic. Like, we're, we're like, on my couch, huddled around this microphone. That's drink. because you put the whiskey in wine glasses. <laughs> I did. I did. That's my fault. So... This is like uh, Fraser and Niles. That's, like, my favorite sherry. show, man. <laughs> if I were going to do a podcast about something that wasn't science fiction, it would be Fraser. I love Fraser. Uh, and I, I turned Audrey into a Fraser fan, and I'm really proud of myself. Really? Yeah. Actually, Audrey's your roommate, which is, so my first two guests are roommates. Yeah. That's weird. You're in my band. Audrey's in, your band. in my band. She's a roommate. Yeah. We're all just, just, um... It's very incestuous. Sucking each other's dicks. All the time. Uh, can I say... Sure. Suck on the radio? You can say suck, yes. Uh, you can say fuck, but you can't say dicks, so you've already screwed okay. up. Uh, yeah. Okay, That's We right. can edit that out. No, I'm going to leave it, and you'll be fined by okay. the FCC. It's fine. Right. No big deal. Um, I'll be found by the FCC. <laughs> so, I wanted to talk to you about uh, sci-fi music, because that's what I do, and you do a lot of this as well. Uh, and I think it's really special and cool to tell sci-fi stories in music. I'm just obsessed with sci-fi. You know, I'm obsessed yeah. with the stories, and I'm also just really into the idea of being a storyteller as a musician. And you do this more than anyone I know besides myself. Um, I think you and I are actually like very similar musicians from completely different backgrounds with completely different styles of music, right? Uh, who are wildly different, but but there's like something very similar about us. I don't I don't know. We've never talked about this before, but I, we haven't. You're you're uh, saying stuff I've never heard you say before. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get real deep. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about your process and maybe talk a little bit about my process as well as far as injecting science fiction into your music. And in so doing, I also just want to talk about you as a musician, because you are one of my favorite musicians in Seattle. Uh, and one of the cool things about doing this podcast is I have the opportunity to 
highlight people that I think that other people should listen to or uh, you know like other I'll bring on writers eventually I have some comedians lined up um, people that are doing art in Seattle that I think is special and important um, especially if it's sci-fi and if they don't make sci-fi then I'm just gonna pick their brains about their favorite sci-fi but with you we get to talk about the main thing that I am doing with my life which is you know making science fiction music so I'm really okay. excited to dig into that sounds good let yeah. me just uh, shift in my chair here. all right <laughs> I want to yes. okay. give some history about how I know you and just about you in general. When I moved to Seattle about five years ago, I saw you play at a show in a basement at Ryan's house, yeah. and you completely blew my mind. Uh, I was, I'm pretty sure I was pretty stoned. But Was that with Naomi? Was that the two-piece? It was... Uh, it was the first time... It was a three-piece. Was a th- What? How is that even... Po- I don't... You had a drummer... It was oh yeah. It was what's his name? It was Roy. Roy, yeah. yeah. You, I saw your last couple shows with Roy. Yeah. Uh, so you're in this basement, and the basement is full, and you just like walked out on stage and just grabbed the audience by the balls. You just kind of took control of the audience immediately, and you took us on this journey. Uh, and I remember very specifically the moment where I realized that I was being taken somewhere. It was during the song Science, which is you know very much a sci-fi song. And just, I, I had already started working on my sci-fi music at that point, uh, and that just like really spoke to me. And I think it was that show, it was either that show or the next show that I saw you, that I walked up to you after and said, I'm going to be the drummer in your band. And you're like, who the fuck are you? No, I think <laughs> I think it was the show after that, because uh, we, lo- we lost Roy to, uh, he moved. Oh, that's right. It was the something. show after. Because you didn't have a drummer the next time, that's why. Yeah. I wouldn't do that when you had a drummer. I'm not yeah, that much of an asshole. Yeah, that would it was be the next way. show. Um, and I had met you at the first show. And then the next show, you didn't remember who I was, but I gave I, you... I'm really bad at that. I'm bad at that. That's fine. I'll, I'll see somebody like six times I, before I, before it solidifies in my mind. I still are. hold it against you, but it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I gave you a copy of my CD, uh, my CD Washington from the Shadows, back in my old life when I was Jesse yeah. Black, before I was Jesse Mercury. Yeah. Um, which is a stage name, which people ask me a lot. It's not my real name. I'm not that lucky. Uh, but you have a stage name also. You're Johnny Unicorn. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah that's part of the story as well, yeah. is that you are part of what inspired me to make a stage name. Okay. Uh, but uh, so the second show, I saw you, I gave you my CD, and then you contacted me and asked me to come audition. And then like three minutes into the audition, I remember you saying, okay, we're a band now, so let's just start working on music. <laughs> like, let's, the audition's okay. over. Let's yeah. like get to work. And we played together for... Two years? year and a half? Two years? Something like that. Yeah. We went on tour together, which was like uh, a... Until 2013, or 2013, as the, yeah. as the young, young, youngins are saying. <laughs> so it was about two years, because I moved in 2010. Yeah. And it was a few months later that I met you, so it was about two years. Yeah. Uh, I had always wanted to go on tour my entire life, and we toured as Plaque Smith and Unicorn. Yes. Because I was still Jesse Plaque at the time. Yeah, and we played both our songs. Yeah, we played both our songs. Yeah. I mean, we played both of our musics yeah we did you know what i'm trying to say and it was great and it was wonderful um i eventually left the band to focus on making my sci-fi music and kind of making the transition into becoming jesse mercury and the reason i did that was in large part inspired by you because the way you walk out and like grab an audience you are kind of this like persona you're this character um that you've created and that it was such an effective way to perform uh, I don't know if you're doing that on purpose or not, but that's what I took away from it, and I decided to do it for me. And I, also, I read an interview with Lady Gaga where she said, you know, at some point in my life, I just decided I was going to be Lady Gaga. I'm not whatever her name was anymore. I'm Lady Gaga. I'm this, like, bigger-than-life personality. And I I realized that I needed that to be able to get outside of my own head and perform and become, like, a real performer and musician. And all my songs used to be very personal, like, acoustic, folky rock sort of stuff. And then I made this shift into doing... Um, sci-fi music and it's just more pop it's more fun um, it's it's more what I've always wanted to do and I just kind of decided I should just do what I've always wanted to do and it was in large part because of you so thank wow. you let's clink again jeez yes so to, um, cheers to, to cheers great show without cheers we wouldn't have Frasier without Frasier we wouldn't have gotten the advice to do what you want to do now yeah <laughs> it was very true that uh, yeah so tell me about your history as a musician. Tell, tell me about, you know, you becoming Johnny Unicorn. Well, when I was a child, 
I only listened to Weird Al, and I didn't know, like, I didn't listen to it as music. It was just entertainment. Yeah. Um, if that makes any sense, there wasn't. But from 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 listening to uh, Weird Al, I I got to understand a lot of a wide variety of different kinds of music because he like mimics the pop formula really well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so that's how I under that's how I like understood music initially. So was your introduction to Michael Jackson Eat It? Yeah. Interesting. And then um and then I moved on to They Might Be Giants and that's when I started to like really under like like music. And uh then I started looking for all kinds of different music and filling my ears with sound. Yeah. And I had a my dad had a like a tape, like a four track tape, tape machine, like a cassette cassette recorder, because mm-hmm. he was recording stuff, uh, and I learned how to use it, and that's how I started recording when I was eleven, twelve. Your dad was a musician, also. Yeah, he he still he still plays from time to time, but yeah, he he like he taught me some of you know guitar. So you're writing your own stuff at this point. Yeah, no, my my first uh my my introduction to recording music was to write. Okay. I mean, it, the at the at the start of it it was just noises are fun to make and now <laughs> I can like overlay them on top of each other. This just is the like coolest thing ever. The sound of dogs farting. Yeah. It's just fascinating. Uh but, you know, I know that the recordings are usually music, so I like I was like taking piano lessons at the time. I never studied, but Yeah. but I like went home and I like used what I learned to like write new songs. Cool. At 11 or 12. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I was writing these really simple songs using like just two note chords because yeah. that's what I learned first. And then, then it got more and more complicated and uh, mostly the way I, I wrote was to just have notes on top of each other and I wasn't really thinking about the chords so much as I was the overlaying of the notes. When did that start to change? Uh, what do you mean? Do you think about the chords now, or do you still think of it, think oh, yeah, of it that way? Oh, yeah, I've, like, over just doing it, I've, like, understood more and more. And yeah. So now I, I I feel like I know a lot more. But I'm always, you know, there's a bunch of stuff I don't know, so I keep filling in my knowledge as I write. I think that I'm that... Still, I'm doing the same thing that I did when I was 11 now. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, just, I love that. I think that's why your music is so interesting, is because you have created your own musical dialogue with yourself where you've kind of taught yourself how to do things. Yeah. You're thinking about it in the terms of your your own terms that you've made up. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's... But that's all music, I would say. Like, that's what it is. It's... Yeah. Music theory is just a, a thing to describe... Yes. ...what's happening. Yes. It's a way Agreed. of understanding what's happening and why it's... It, why you're, you know... It's not a... It's not a... It's not a manual for writing music. Yeah, I agree. And the way it's taught in school is that it is a manual for writing music. And this is why I had so much... I kind of didn't like a lot of what I learned in music school because I felt like it was approached backwards. Um, Right. I think that music theory was kind of written to understand the genius of people like Beethoven. Because when Beethoven comes out, music theory expands. And they all say... You know what right. he did. At first, they say what he did is not within music theory, and then they say no, it is. If you, if you go to like the one to the five to the five of two to the seven of two or whatever, like to the Neapolitan chord, then <laughs> they, they they create theory to fit with the brilliance, like the spark of genius that happened because he heard something and wanted something to be a certain way, so he just did it. And they write the theory for it later so that other people can understand to try to recreate it. But right. that's backwards. What you should be doing is listening inside of yourself. Well, should I? I don't know. This is what I think. It depends I, on the person. I it mean, depends on the person. I I like the, the idea. I romanticize the idea of like li- listening inside of myself and finding music, and then just trying to be a purist in how it comes out and ignore the theory. You know. Right. But but also like if you want to play with other musicians and uh, you get into a situation where somebody's like, we're gonna play jazz. Yeah. Then you have to be like, okay, what's jazz? What do they think jazz is? And then do the thing. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and at that point you're approaching it like looking at it backwards, but that's because that's that's it's how necessary. Gonna, it's like a it's theory is like a tool for communication. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like a 
dictionary or a um, like a manual of style. Yeah, and that is its value, I think. Yeah, it's, it is. A, it is a musical language that everyone. I think that's who studies how music, I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. It's a musical language that everyone who studies music can use as common ground to get someplace faster. Yeah. Uh, and it was like and that. That's what I took from school that I really appreciate. And there were some rules of theory that I learned that have helped me in composition for sure. But since I left music school, I've just been like writing rock music. You know, I, I completely went off the rails from what I was studying. I kind of rebelled against it and wanted to do 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 my own thing, and kind of like reach down inside of myself and find something new, which has been, you know, just like the most satisfying thing I could possibly do. And that's why I write music is because it's the it's the one thing that I've ever done in my life that just feels a hundred percent perfect and pure when I'm doing it right. And right is you know subjective to my own terms yeah but what about you why do you write music i don't know it's to it's because it's it's a compulsion mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i want to hear i want to hear a sound and so i try to make it happen that's it yeah so when did you become johnny unicorn versus john benjamin adams in 2006 really uh, i didn't know it was that recent well i guess that's nine years ago yeah, no, I, well, I, I had my, my, I was calling my, I mean, my, I was calling my project Hoser for the longest time, and then at some point, I, it was just me, and then at some point I decided I want, wanted to play with musicians, because I, I, for a while I played in a rock band in high school, Yeah, and I, and, and I realized the, the value of uh, collaborating with other people, and uh, so I, I got a band together, and then I moved to LA at some point. In 2005 ish mm-hmm. and I was having a difficult time like getting a band together for this new stuff that I was doing that I was calling Johnny Unicorn I decided to I just went with I, I don't know I came up with that name in 2005 so it was more like a band name at first than, no, than it was stage just name. a it was just a I wanted a cool stage name yeah okay cool so that was the intention was to it's just a, yeah it was a stage, stage name. name I yeah. just wanted a stage name yeah it Which would be should. fun. Actually, no, I, you know, probably part of it was like, if I have a stage name and I call my band that, um, then I could avoid the, uh, the, the, the problem of my name being the same as like two, the, uh, you know, at least two other, uh, well-known musicians. Named John Adams. Yeah. And not to mention several presidents. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, there's that, and then also I can uh, have a band, or I can not have a band. If if uh, hmm. the band falls apart, I can still do it. Yeah. When did when did science fiction elements enter your music? I feel like it's got to be pretty early. Oh yeah, it's, it's just every once in a while it's like oh I'm gonna write a sci-fi song now. Yeah. Is so, it like a con- do you sit down and say I'm gonna write a sci-fi song? Is it like a conscious thing? I have. I mean, it depends. It's it's different from song to song. Yeah. What's the first one you can remember doing? Um, do, 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 uh, there was a song called "Let's Go Be a UFO Tonight" <laughs> that I wrote when I was thirteen. That's a silly one. It's like thirty seconds long. Yeah. A lot of these songs. There, I have a. Do you remember it? I can't sing it now. It's like okay. a, it's I was like gonna yelling. Ask. It's like a. <laughs> you can yell in my apartment. It's like a. It's like a a keyboard thing that's like really fast because I sped it up a lot. Uh huh. And it's just chords like pressing really fast over and over and over again, and it's like a simple like one four five sort yeah. of progression. Were you with me yelling over it? What was your sci-fi as a kid? Were you into sci-fi? What were you obsessed with? When I was a kid, like I grew up on Next Generation, and the first sci-fi song I ever wrote was. Android Rock, which is the chorus is "Come on, Jordy, fix that shit, crunch that data, data." It's, <laughs> it's like a, it's like I'm journeying through space with Jordy and Data, and our ship crashes on this abandoned moon, and they need to fix it. And I'm like, for some reason, I'm the command officer. I was just like field promotion because yeah. they're, you know, obviously Data would be the command officer. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm real cocky to think that I am <laughs> going to be the command officer. But I wrote this song, and it was one of the most fun songs I'd ever written. I was in. Ireland with my family. I was walking next to my sister. We were like at a castle. It was very epic. Um, and I turned to my sister. I just had this moment of inspiration. I was like, oh my God. Like that chorus just popped into my head, you know, like, come on, Jordy, fix that shit. <laughs> and I turned to my sister. I'm like, Leah, I'm going to write a song 
about Star Trek The Next Generation. And the chorus is going to be, come on, Jordy, fix that shit. Crunch that data, data. And she looked at me and she said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, but I went home and I did it. Yeah. And there's actually a music video out there on YouTube. Yeah, under, really? Yeah, it's under Jesse Plack. It was a, I did it as a school project back in college because I had this great class um, at music San Diego video? State. Like a music video music video? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, where it's me like flying... In, in a van through space with my friends, we crash land on a planet, and then we just dance around on the planet with our instruments. All right. Uh, but that was, I mean, that was really the birth of, you know, me realizing that that's what I wanted to do, was to make fun pop science fiction music. And right. that was the first one. That was years ago. Um, and I had, I'd never even conceived of having a stage name or, or doing anything until year, like a few years back. Like, I guess yeah. five, five years ago now is when I first thought of doing it. Yeah. Um, so at a certain point, your sci-fi seems to become a lot more um, purposeful. Like with songs like Science, or then now, your your last two albums. Well, the, the one that just came out, Angels in the Oort Cloud. Yeah. And then um, Heavy Jugs to the Moon, which hasn't come out yet. Um, yes, and which won't come out until probably 2016. So yeah. Keep your, uh, <laughs> keep your calendars uh, empty. <laughs> For all of 2016. <laughs> Uh, both of those albums are very sci-fi, and have well, Angels in the Oort Cloud is like a concept album. It's a con- right? it's a loose concept album. You know, yeah. it's a, it's like a a lot of progressive rock albums are concept albums, but they're not like they wouldn't hold up as like a as a musical or a any as like a real story. They're just yeah. they're really loose and kind of vague, and and it's like that. And it's a really cool concept. That is, it's like. It's sort of fantasy, sort of sci-fi, but tell, tell us the concept of, of Angels in the Oort Cloud. Uh, imagine that uh, science has been able to prove that the God of the Bible is real. And if you think about the stuff that happens in the Bible, there's a lot of... God does some really mean stuff to people. <laughs> and, you know, you can... I'm not, I don't want to talk too much about that, but you, you can... You know, there's a lot of like, hey, you know, do a human sacrifice, and then, um, and then, no, don't do it. You know. Yeah. And I just thought that if 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 uh, if it were found out that it were absolutely true that that were a real being that he, some faction of humanity might decide to wage war on it. <laughs> oh wow! So that was the idea: was that war on people God. People are angry, and so they uh, they. They they wage war on on their god. Wow, is the idea that this god is literally god, or is it like a being who is god to us because it's advanced? Nah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the idea that that like humans are waging war on god. Yeah, and God is fighting back. God is fighting back, and God will win. Well, yeah, because he's more powerful. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But the angels are like the soldiers, and the okay, and the humans have robots. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we have something. <laughs> I'm glad we have something to fight back. So this is—it's like this weird. Humans are really smart. Like hybrid. Some of us. Like biblical. Some of them. Fantasy sci-fi story that you've concocted. Do you ever like write these stories out, or you just do them in, in musical form? No, I didn't write any of this out. It's just like in your head. What... It's really loose. I mean, it's—it's yeah. it's like that was like where I was going off of, and you know. Some of it veers from that, and yeah, I had to, some of these songs are old songs that I've like reworked the lyrics to fit into the story a little bit, mm-hmm. and so like, each song is kind of taking that idea and um, and talking about a little part of it. Very cool, um, but well, it's not it's not like fully fleshed out. Yeah, even though the album is released. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's it's as fleshed out as I'd want it to be. It's a concept. Yeah. It's a concept album. That's something that's cool about doing storytelling through music is that you you only have to take it so far if you want to. You can kind of hint at ideas. You don't necessarily have to draw conclusions. You actually you just don't have to draw conclusions. You know, you I can, don't want to draw conclusions. Yeah, the In conclusion music. is up to the listener uh, because you, you're setting so much mood with the music itself that the lyrics are. You can just like ask questions and then just leave them open ended. It's kind of a wonderful way to to do that, and I think it's really powerful. I mean, I I'm just obsessed with asking these big questions. You know, like yeah. that's a huge question. Like, what if God were real and we have to fight him with science? Like, what do you do? Robots. You do robots. 
I never got your answer. What what did you grow up on sci-fi wise? Because you see, you strike me as someone that would have like a lot of sci-fi influences as a kid. Robocop. Robocop. Predator. Predator. Um, I'm shocked. Predator um, is like probably my third favorite movie of all time. I just saw Predator for the first time like a year ago. Really? Yeah. Here's what I like about Predator. I'll tell you what I like about Predator right Hit now, me. if you don't mind. No, that this is what we're here for. Is is that every single character is consistent from start to finish. Uh-huh. And but they're so simple and archetypical that it's easy to do that. But, you know, the writer didn't decide to make the character so complex that they had to like make it work all the way through. And this movie yeah. goes from start to finish, and it's perfect. There's no... All the... I got... I, okay. <laughs> Try to get you drunker. <laughs> so it's like a perfect film. Yeah. That's that's what I like about it. And the music in that movie is so awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, is it Alan, it's Alan Silvestri? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Robocop. It was another one. I just saw Robocop. Robocop. Like two years ago. The music in that movie, too. And the direction by Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. I just saw Total Recall for the that first movie. time a couple months ago. Yeah. Blew me away. Total, Paul, Total Paul Recall's Verhoeven. a little sillier than RoboCop. Yeah. Um, they get sillier. I think Starship Troopers just like goes yeah. off the deep end, which is cool. But And then Strippers and Showgirls. But, but RoboCop was... Uh, RoboCop was like, is It's creepy. It's, it's scary to me. Yeah. It's like a... You know, I don't know. I But I watched, I used to watch the movie on VHS in slow motion. I'd watch the whole movie in slow motion. Wow. I watched it 50 times... And then I would just like pause it and watch the you know a car hit the guy and his head go off. And this was like when it came out on video, nineteen eighty-seven. Wow, I had no idea when I was seven. When I saw this movie a couple years ago, I was shocked by the level of gore. It's the goriest movie I've ever seen. Yeah, you remember? Did you ever see Hot Shots? Yes. Hot Shots was it part do? Part do? Yeah. The, there part was do? the there was this that, that <laughs> scene where the guy's killing all the people and and. It, and he kills a certain amount of people and it goes ding and it's like this movie and then he goes ding oh this movie and then yeah. he kills all the people and it says ding Robocop <laughs> I do remember that and I didn't get it at the time but now I do there's a lot of yeah but it, yeah I remember that that was what was cool about it so many special effects yeah like the practical was, effects in that movie were incredible I was obsessed with violence as a kid but it really? was but it was more in, in the like I just like the way I, I just thought it was cool the idea of Creating I was fake a, violence. Yeah, I like yeah. special effects. Because you're not, you're like a very non-violent person. You you have a very gentle aura. It's, yeah. it's surprising me that RoboCop. I do all my killing in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now I got to hear all about that. No, I yeah, I got addicted to Big Buck Hunter, the video game. Uh-huh. Uh In uh, when I was on tour last. <laughs> uh, man, they were making fun of me. You do all your killing in your dreams. I, that was just a joke. Oh, I'm, bummer. I was really hoping to get like a... I'm sure I've killed somebody in my dreams, but yeah, not, I dream I science really... fiction sequels. I have dreamed... <laughs> uh, before the Star Trek movie came out in 2009, I dreamed a movie with Kirk and Spock. Um, as Like the original actors. Yeah. And the scene at the end of the 2009 Star Trek movie was so similar to this dream that I had. Where they're running around on the ship trying to get to Nero. Like running around uh, with their... Like, weird phaser that had that cool thing that kind of flipped down to the side. Um, it was so similar to this dream I had, like, eight years before that. And recently, I actually dreamed Star Wars The Force Awakens. It was very powerful. Oh, yeah. wow. Was it good? It was so... How was it? Okay. Give us a review. Give us an advanced so, review. I, I dreamed, like, the first, like, third of the movie. Don't spoil... No spoilers. Oh, spoilers. I'm going to spoilers it. Just because, you know... Because it's not real. I can spoilers my dream, right? All right, all right. All right. Um, so... I'll, I'll try to make this brief, but it was really exciting. There was, like, this uh, Jedi training academy. Luke had been missing for, like, 20 years, and Luke had been off training Jedi on his own in secret because he didn't want the whole, like, idea of the Jedi becoming politicized to happen again. The Jedi were basically the peacekeepers for this giant political organization, and it was kind of a corrupt system, uh, and it didn't work. And, um... You know, anyway, that's a whole, whole other and story. And then Anakin killed younglings. Anakin killed younglings because the system didn't work. <laughs> yeah. What about the younglings? What a jerk. I know. What a great name for young people also. And really just kind of deflated, deflated a really serious moment in that movie. What about the younglings? You know, it's just not yeah. dramatic. So anyway, Luke goes off to train his new Jedi. So he's got all of these, like, teenagers yeah. under his wing. Uh, and... 
like Han. Is he I wearing a Han. robe? Does he wear a robe? Oh, he's time? wearing a robe the whole time. Is he like Luke in the beginning of Return of the Jedi? Yeah, where he gets all serious. Yeah, he's serious. serious he's serious, but he's like a very Obi Wan ish character where he has some dry wit. Right. But you know, he is like one with the Force at this point. You know, he is a real Jedi in the way that we haven't seen him yet, in the way that Obi Wan was in the first movie. So, does, uh, he, does he finally get his um, power converters from the Tashi station? No, <laughs> definitely not. So some people go to this planet. They finally find him. I it, people sent by Han and Leia. I didn't see Han and Leia in my dream. Uh, so there's some like young people that go to meet with him, and then he's in charge of all these other young people, and they convince him to come back because there's some new threat to the galaxy that the Jedi are needed for. And Luke knows this because he's one with the Force and he's ready, you know, but he hasn't told his Padawans yet because um, it's part of their training or whatever. So they all leave the planet and they go to this depot on this other planet. It's like a weird swamp planet. It's kind of like this backwoods depot on this swamp planet okay. where there's all these surly characters. And Luke needs a new uh, power crystal for his lightsaber. <laughs> You're going with the power crystal thing. Power crystal. Is that, is that canon now? Is that? I don't know. This is a dream. Okay, so he, he needs right. a power crystal for his lightsaber. He they go to this like depot and then they're looking down all the aisles for a power crystal and they get attacked. Um, like, and then there's this kind of classic, you know, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg scene where one of the Padawans has the power crystal and needs to get it to Luke because he's the only one with a lightsaber and he's the only one who can fight back. Um, but they keep dropping it. You know, it's kind of like uh, when Harrison Ford needs that vial, or when uh, Indiana Jones needs that vial of uh, antidote because he's been poisoned in the right. beginning of Temple of Doom. Yes. It's very similar to that. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a comedic action scene, but very intense, and like there's very high stakes. And then this is right at the end of my dream. Um, someone tosses the crystal to Luke right when like shit is about to go completely wrong. He shoves it into his lightsaber. He ignites his lightsaber. And for the first time in 30 years, Luke Skywalker standing there with a lightsaber in his hands. And it's a very dramatic moment. And you know how sometimes a that's, lightsaber... That's totally something that J.J. Abrams would do. I, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, like, sometimes when Darth Vader wants to be a super badass, his lightsaber expands slowly? Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Like, in Empire? It's like, instead of like a... Wow. Instead of like a... It's like a... When, yeah. he, when he turns it on. It was one of those. Comes on and, like, like throbs. Yeah, it, like, throbs mm-hmm. open. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's very it's phallic. Yeah. Uh, and then at that moment in the dream, I was in a movie theater, and Luke, like, ignites his lightsaber. The camera pans in on him, and it's, like, old Luke with his lightsaber, and he's just got this look in his eye like he's going to fuck shit up. And everyone in the theater just starts screaming. Screaming. Is in, in the dream? In my dream. Oh, and then yeah. I woke up because I was so excited. It was so exciting. I am so excited about this movie. Now wait, now you're you're um, how old are you? I'm thirty. Is that were were you? Did you go to the theater when the special editions came out? Or, I absolutely or, did. Or yeah, like the new movies. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it was like. Well, there was screaming when I went to the midnight twelve oh one showing. <laughs> yeah. Of of Star Wars special edition. Yeah, the special editions was... I had, to, I had to wait in line to get a ticket to wait in another line for. <laughs> yeah, I did that too. And Were that, you a Star Wars fan as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. I what? wasn't, I was never like a, like, I don't know, I wasn't like a obsessed, there's a lot of cool stories out there, sci-fi or not, but yeah. um, I was more of a Star Wars person than a Star Trek person. Lately, I've been watching Star Trek. Which I'm very proud of you for. And it's, it's better, story-wise. Yeah. Star Wars was cool because it felt real. Yes. Until the special editions added a bunch of CGI. But Yeah, and then the prequels just blew it all out of the water. Before <laughs> You know, I think I think uh yeah, the young Anakin really brought that role to life. I to think life. Jake Lloyd ah. was was I liked him. I liked Phantom Menace a lot. Are you serious? Yeah. Tell, tell me about liking... Not the way I liked Star Wars. I liked it yeah. like, oh, this is ridiculous. Okay. Here. This is like fun. It was fun movie. Interesting. I couldn't have any fun because I was so upset. I liked it the way like Dante's Peak. You know? It's it's Interesting. Like, it's silly and it's fun and it's funny and there's like funny parts and, you know... I'm like jealous right now. I, w- <laughs> I wish I could like The Phantom Menace. I had such like a horrible experience as a kid when that came out. I oh, it was sorry. the peak of my Star Trek or Star Wars obsession. 
Um, I had always been obsessed with Star Trek, and then I went like hardcore Star Wars for a few years. I was in the Star Wars fan club. Like, I got the magazine. I was all about it. I knew everything about everything in Star Wars. And uh, when the like when the when the special editions came out, it was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me. It was like, oh my god, I get to see Star Wars on the big screen, and there's gonna be new shit. Like that was the most exciting thing. Um, and I was on board. You know, originally I was on board for all the changes. I thought it was okay. Um, I was just excited to see it. Yeah. And then I was excited for the prequels because of it. And then I saw Episode One, and there's like this weird switch that went off in my brain where. I don't know. It, it, I, I couldn't conceive of not liking Star Wars, you know, because it was so ingrained in my blood at that point. I had just been so obsessed with it. Probably like three or four years at that point when, when that movie came out. Maybe five or six. I, I don't quite remember. But I had all the action figures. I had all the expanded universe novels. I just went like hardcore. Um, and to see something in the Star Wars universe that I didn't like was... Like, my brain couldn't process it, you know? So I walked out of the theater. I, I ditched school the day it came out with a bunch of friends, and my, my mom went with us. She kind of, like, chaperoned this group of uh, of kids who were all ditching school to see Star Wars. Not, like, unofficially, you know? Right. She was there with me, but she was the only adult, so she became yeah. the chaperone. Um, okay. So we all went to see it, and then after it was done, we're like, yeah, it was great, you know? People would ask us how it was when we went back to school. I'm like, yeah, yeah it was great. Just because I couldn't conceive that it was bad. I saw it four times in the theaters. And by the fourth <laughs> Just time... Just to be sure. <laughs> by the fourth time, I was like, this is bad. Like, this isn't a good movie. I don't like it. It was hard. Yeah. It was very hard to admit to myself. Well, you know, you, it's, you gotta... It's when you're expecting Star Wars... I mean, Star Wars had an impact because of when it came out. Yeah. And you can't recreate that. Uh, in the same way, I don't know. Yeah, you can't. And I remember I saw all those movies in the at the twelve oh one showing also, and every time it was like yeah yeah, and then the like died down as the movie went on. <laughs> okay, well you know the three years the next one that's gonna be they're gonna like start it'll it'll get going good now and then the second one was like oh and yeah the third one came out I was like hey okay they're gonna finish the story you're gonna tie it all up we're gonna it's gonna be awesome this third one's gonna be really good and then it's like oh like what the hell are with these lines what's this dialogue it doesn't make any sense yeah. It's weird. We all got, like, <laughs> duped three times, you know? I mean, I I was not excited when the third movie came out. I still out. think they were fun movies. I still yeah. have them. I watch them, and they're fun. Yeah. That, but, it, you know. It's tough because, I mean, you're holding them up to the highest possible standard. Like, yeah. you're holding them up to the standard of, I think it's know, kind of unfair yeah. to George Lucas, you know, even, you know, you say what you want about him, but, I, you know, whatever. He did this movie and it's fun and it's as fun as Willow <laughs> <laughs> it is it is unfair to George Lucas I think about this a lot uh, as a, a musician like as an artist as someone who creates something for other people to consume um, like where is the line there like this I think this said something about our culture that is kind of maybe like just super negative in a way where like George Lucas is not allowed to make the movie he wants to make because people are so mad about it, and I'm guilty of this. Yeah. Like I was very mad about it. I know, I know and I blamed feeling. him. You know, people think he's wrong, right? But he's not wrong. <laughs> it's it's totally it's it's his prerogative. He wanted to make Jar Jar Binks a character. That's his prerogative. He wanted Jake Lloyd to be young Darth Vader. That's his prerogative. Now, some people have said Jar Jar Binks was a racist character. So that might be a thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to dislike it. You know. <laughs> And I'm not saying that it's good by any means. I'm saying that it's his choice. And right. he's he's the creator, you know? Like he's creating this world, it's his choice. And there is no respect for that in in our culture. Um I I feel like we live in a culture where people are trying to hate things, you know? Like everyone loves the underdog, but when the underdog becomes the overdog, then they try to hate it. Sure, yeah. That's yeah. I mean when an artist changes goes in a different direction they they get angry yeah when you're yeah, really angry when your favorite football star does something like doesn't pass the the ball right you know yeah <laughs> then you get angry at them yeah it's that kind of thing i don't know it's interesting because i am by no means you know all right like a six 
Are you ready? You ready yeah, for yeah, more whiskey? All right, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I no, think this is good. I'm excited. I request another glass of whiskey. Coming right up. Now this is all I can drink. Cool. There you go. Um. So as as an artist, I gotta operate heavy heavy machinery later. <laughs> you do. No, I have a, I have to. What, yeah. what are you and Naomi doing later? I gotta build a shelf. <laughs> oh, I see. I was imagining some like very elaborate sex toy. A shelf. A shelf. Wow. A shelf that holds a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I just talking about? I don't know. Uh, you were talking uh, oh, about. Got it. Okay. So, have you ever had? <laughs> have you ever had this happen to you? So I, you and I, I would say are maybe at like similar levels of success as musicians, where we have like maybe a few people that follow us. Um, and that's it. <laughs> like, yeah, people well, take us mildly seriously. I call myself a semi-amateur musician. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, sometimes um, sometimes it pays for itself. Most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't. It does, but I don't care about that. But we do it anyway, because we love it. Yeah. So, anyway, I have still experienced what we were just talking about, where, like, I shifted styles, and, and fans were angry. And it mm. shocked me. Yeah. Because I had, ma- like... Of my dozens of fans, someone was still really upset with me. Yeah. Uh, it's when I started working on Night Song after... Well, I, I worked on Washington from the Shadows and Night Song kind of concurrently. And I put Night Song down to finish Washington from the Shadows, and then I went back to Night Song. But a lot of songs from Night Song were pretty old. And I played one to a friend who had loved my first album, Copper Sun... Which I think is just like it's my episode one, you know. It's not. It's not great, um, but I played her a song off of Night Song, which I ended up cutting later. And she's just like, I just don't like it at all, you know. It's like totally different. Why did you change? I liked what you did before, uh, and because it was different, she didn't like it. And it was very, very difficult to deal with as an artist. And I let it get to me so much that I actually cut the song. This is now, but this is the human brain we're talking about. Yeah, which it, it never fails. People don't like things. Object. Nothing's objective. Right. Everything's subjective. Yeah. A- anything that somebody thinks about something is not. They're not thinking about every single thing. They're like focusing on one thing and they're letting their emotions like decide uh, how they're going to think about it. And most of the time, the first way some somebody hears something is the way that they like. If they like it. Yeah. And then if you and then so if you show somebody a rough mix of a song, mm-hmm. and then you re-record the vocals, and they'll be like, oh, what'd you? Why'd you change that lyric? Or what? You know, why'd you sing that note instead of that note? Or why'd you replace the slide guitar solo with a you know this other thing? Yeah, I've had. I, so you've had a similar experience with a slide guitar solo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had like five slide guitars all like playing crappy notes and I didn't like it and then that was the, like what I was showing people and then I composed this thing with synth and guitar yeah that uh, we're gonna play which I'm excited about and it's the coolest thing ever but it's uh, which thing it's on Edith Manton oh cool which we're rehearsing right yeah now. yeah and yeah cause I'm, I'm playing uh, and I, and I'm playing in your band at Seaprog which is August 9th yeah August 9th August 9th Sunday August 9th yeah Sea Prog, come see Johnny Unicorn at Sea yeah, Prog. Go, go, go for the whole weekend. It's like a bunch of avant-garde prog rock. It's really cool. Yeah, or like various kinds of prog rock, all all over the spectrum. Sea Prog is in Seattle, not the ocean. Yeah, yeah. C C S E A. Sea Prog. When you buy your plane ticket, make sure it says S E A. Yeah, and I'll pick you up. Also, not like Vision, like I see Prog. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. Uh, anyway, yeah. So yeah, that, that's the people. People hear it one way, and then they, then that's the way they want it. And yeah. Star Wars, people see it, they see Star Wars, and then George Lucas like, well, you know, I wanted a CGI like monster in the background there, and uh, I couldn't do it at the time. Yeah, I said, I said, I want CGI, and they were like, what's CGI? So uh, I had to wait for somebody to invent it. Yeah, I learned so much from that as an artist. <laughs> like everything you you just said. Yeah. Um, I agree with. So I tried to internalize it and spit it back out as you know I, I let it really affect my work in a way that I think has made me a better musician because now I release a song at a time when I finish them just so that I have stuff coming out as often as possible sure uh, and then I always always have this moment later where I'm like oh shit I could have done this with that song 
Um, like I just recently made my music video for Relativity, which you were in, and you did a very good job. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I had this moment before I released the video where I thought about completely re-recording the song because I got all these analog synthesizers since then, and like the newest song I've released was Asteroid Field, and it was all done analog. And it oh, just, so were you using the MIDI stuff on the yeah um, MIDI digital yeah oh. it's all digital on Relativity right and on everything on the Sci-Fi album up until Asteroid Field where I went full analog so I and I think that it gives Asteroid Field this incredible feel you know it's very warm it's very a warm, warm song yeah I love and that I, song I also have control over the synthesizers in a way that I've never had before uh, like the the theme song for this podcast is the latest thing that I recorded and it was I did it. That's I did it yesterday. The, that's with the analog synthesizers. Yeah, that, oh, that's, that's the synthesizer sitting right next to us. I did it. Cool. Um, I did it all yesterday. I did it all in one day, and for me to like write and release something in a day is phenomenal. I'm really excited. Like by the time you're listening to this podcast, a couple of weeks will have gone by because you know it's a new podcast. I'm getting the first couple of episodes in the bag before I start. I, I won't be listening. Them. You're not going to listen. to That's fine. You'll <laughs> listen to the ones that you'll listen to the ones that Audrey is on, but you won't listen to this one. Yeah, yeah. You're going to listen to it. You will. Yeah. I know it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so I thought about going back and redoing Relativity with Analog. Uh, and then I had this moment where I realized that I had George Lucas syndrome, that I, as an artist, needed to let my art stand. Because when I finished Relativity, I loved it. I thought it was perfect. You know? I was so into it. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to be releasing. This, this song speaks to who I am as a musician. And now, it's done. Now, there's a difference... Between what you're talking about, and you've reached like a level of being able to do uh, what you're what you're doing. You're recording, recording and performing your music. Uh huh. Now I I feel like when I listen to to like a few albums back of my albums, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just releasing them anyway. Yeah. And I listen to this album. I'm like, I need. I should remix that because it was um, poor quality. It was like bad working. It was, it was the work was bad. So I think that that is a dangerous rabbit hole that you are falling down. I agree with that. Yeah, I would and, say, and a lot of people like let it. it stand. And so I'm like, whatever. Okay, yeah, sure. That's the thing is that it's people just, like it, it. I didn't know what I was doing, and that's what I came up with. And who knows what they're doing? The ever vocals are know? like mixed all weird, and uh, I don't know. But it's you know, I would let it stand if I were you. Always, I, I'm trying to take on this mentality as an artist where I'm always looking to the future, and if I don't like something that I've done in the past, let it stand, move on, do something better next time, you know? Because if I change what I've done in the past, somebody will have a very violent reaction to it uh, because they, they love it as it is. Well, friends, we're going to pause right there for this episode. We'll pick up this conversation next time. But to end things out, I want to play you the entirety of Johnny Unicorn's song, Angels. And it's just awesome. It's a 15-minute long epic that we're going to be playing at Seaprog on August 9th. This is the first track off the album Angels in the Oort Cloud. That's the album we were just talking about where science has proved that God exists and humans have decided to fight God. So here's a great look into that album, a look into the mind of Johnny Unicorn, some awesome concept sci-fi stuff going on, and I hope you enjoy. Justified 